we are in this series uh, on faith as we talk about a man who's lived a life of faith uh, that we could, uh, we could learn from. We, we are talking about being people of faith, uh, knowing that God is present with us. And there are those moments when we sense that more readily than others. It's more tangible. And moments when we're singing songs in this place where there's hundreds of people in unison, united in heart, uh, and in mind, singing the same words, there's a sense of God is here. We sense his presence. And it's easy to say back to God, God, I'm with you. Uh, in moments like this, yet when you're walking that path, you're walking that road, and the road is bumpy, and it's slippery, and it's not well lit, it's more difficult uh, to, to say that. And we have those moments when our faith is tested. And we're, we are looking at that whole concept through the eyes and the life of a guy named Abraham. And his story is found in beginning in Genesis chapter 12. And we've been specifically looking at a promise that God's given to Abraham, a promise of land and family. Of, of this, this, this inheritance of land and offspring and, uh, and this great promise. And yet this promise, uh, this, this faith in this promise that will be tested at least six times. Uh, we're not going to get to all the promises that, 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 uh, that are all the, the, the tests that Abraham encounters because uh, we don't have time to do that. But we're looking at a few of them. And uh, the, the first week, um, we looked at the, we're looking at these first three, uh, the, 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 the promise of the Lamb. When the first week, we looked at the, the, the promise uh, that of land. It was tested, this test of faith of, of not enough. Abraham goes to the land and encounters famine, and he takes a detour to Egypt and, and makes some significant mistakes, and he, he doesn't pass that test. Yet the second test we looked at, we saw in Genesis chapter 13, it's the test of conflict, and how Abraham is going to handle this, this uh, conflict. And he passes this test because he prefers his nephew Lot over himself. And we talked about being a people who prefer one, another's, one another above ourselves. The, uh, the test that we're, we're skipping over is found in uh, Genesis chapter 14. This is what I call the test of, of, of fame and fortune. You could read this chapter on your own, but what happens is uh, Abraham's nephew Lot is abducted by these kings who come down and conquer the city that he's living around, and they're hauled out, and Abraham takes uh, over 300 trained warriors and goes after uh, Lot and after uh, these captured people and rescues them as well as gets all this plunder, and as he's coming back, the king of Sodom offers all this riches to, uh, to Abraham, and Abraham says uh, no thanks because he has taken an oath that, uh, that only God will, uh, will, will make him rich. He doesn't want any person to be able to say to him, I made you rich. And so he indeed passes this, this test of fame and fortune. In fact, when you get into Genesis chapter 15, you'll see right away in the first uh, verses where God comes to Abraham and says uh, to Abraham, I am your shield, I am your very great reward. As if saying to him, Abraham, you passed up on all these earthly riches, and I want you to know you passed the test, and I want you to know that I am your reward. And, and that brings us up to this this. this fourth test, which we're going to look at today, and this happens to be the test, the beginnings of the test of, the, of future family and offspring, and uh, we're going to look at Genesis 16 this morning, so if you've got your Bibles, turn there, it's on page 13 in your pew Bibles, if you didn't bring one uh, with you, didn't bring a Bible with you, um, you'll find this, this chapter, uh, Genesis chapter 16, verse, uh, verse 1 on page 13 of your pew Bibles, would you stand as I read God's word this morning? As we look at this next test of faith for Abraham, the test of time. 
Genesis 16, verse 1, Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children, but she had an Egyptian maidservant named Hagar. So she said to Abram, The Lord has kept me from having children. Go sleep with my maidservant. Perhaps I can build a family through her. Abram agreed to what Sarai said. So after Abram had been living in Canaan ten years, Sarai, his wife, took her Egyptian maidservant Hagar and gave her to her husband to be his wife. He slept with Hagar, and she conceived. When she knew she was pregnant, she began to despise her mistress. Then Sarai said to Abram, You are responsible for the wrong I am suffering. I put my servant in your arms, and now that she knows she is pregnant, she despises me. May the Lord judge between you and me. Your servant is in your hands, Abram said. Do with her whatever you think best. Then Sarai mistreated Hagar, so she fled from her. The angel of the Lord found Hagar near a spring in the desert. It was, it was the spring that is beside the road to Shur. And he said, Hagar, servant of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? I'm running away from my mistress, Sarai, she answered. Then the angel of the Lord told her, go back to your mistress and submit to her. The angel added, I will so increase your descendants that they will be too numerous to count. The angel of the Lord also said to her, You are now with child, and you will have a son. You shall name him Ishmael, for the Lord has heard of your misery. He will be a wild donkey of a man. His hand will be against everyone, and everyone's hand against him. And he will live in hostility toward all his brothers. She gave this name to the Lord who spoke to her. You are the God who sees me. For she said, I have now seen the one who sees me. That is why the well was called Bir Lahai Roy. It is still there between Kadesh and Bered. So Hagar bore Abram a son, and Abram gave the name Ishmael to the son she had born. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore him Ishmael. This is God's holy word, and you may be seated. So here's the question I want to lead with this morning. What do you do when God doesn't show up on time? What do you do when God doesn't show up on time? When He isn't coming quite as quickly as you expected? When, when you, you prayed prayers that you, 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 you told you were, you were supposed to pray from the Scriptures and you, you, you bank on promises that you read in the Scriptures and you're asking and you're wondering, God, when are you going to come through? Because I'm in a pretty tough situation and I'm waiting and I'm hoping that, that you'll answer and yet God doesn't show up and you're wondering if, if He's forgotten you and you're, He's late. What do you do when God doesn't show up on time? Many years ago when Trina and I were living in Hood River, Oregon, I was in, in business at the time, uh, we lived in a home, which it's pr- his primary source of heat in this home was wood. And my father-in-law uh, called me up one week and uh, said that there was this apple orchard that was being taken out and asked if I wanted to go with him to cut some wood. And uh, we needed wood, and so I said, yep, I'd love to do that. And we agreed that we would meet on Saturday, uh, Saturday morning at 8 o'clock and go cut wood. So after a week of work, uh, Friday night comes, and uh, I'm, I'm in bed Friday night, and I'm just like squeezing out as much sleep as I can that night, and I squeeze a little too much sleep out. I'm late uh, in the morning a bit, and I, I get in my truck, and I'm driving to my father-in-law's property, and I get there at 8.05. 
We're supposed to be there at 8 o'clock. I get there at 8.05. I pull up to the house, and I see that his truck is gone. And uh, I, I go in the house, and my fears are confirmed because my mother-in-law tells me that uh, he's left. He's gone to cut wood. Uh, and I said, well, it's only 8.05. And she said, as through a smile, yeah, but you said you'd meet him at 8. And if you know my father-in-law, he's a very punctual, on-time guy. And if you're not there, then... That's it. That's your one shot. Um, and uh, now, by the way, this is not a, this is not a sermon about punctuality. Uh, and I, I should have been there on time. I said I was going to be there at 8 o'clock. I wasn't there on time. Yet I, I still sat there wondering, man, I could have called. I, I could have told him I was on my way and um, could have checked on me. Maybe I was in an accident, you know, kind of, kind of dramatic. Something bad could have happened. Uh, but... Nonetheless, I'm getting back in my truck and I'm having to drive around looking for an apple orchard that's being taken out so I could find my father-in-law and cut some wood. Found him about an hour later and, uh, and he, that's what he said. We said 8 o'clock. You weren't there at 8 o'clock. I left. Um, I was like, man, I can't believe that. Uh, you know, what, what would you do if you're expecting someone to be there on time? Do you just, just leave it at 8 o'clock? I mean, what, what's your response um, and you know what? We may think that we're gracious. We might, we might give some extended time because someone isn't there when they're supposed to be. But eventually there comes this moment where, you know, you had expectations that that person would be there at that time. You had expectations that this would happen at that moment. And what happens when those disappointments set in? What happens when a person, or better yet, what happens when God doesn't show up? Now, as we're in this, in this story uh, of Abraham, uh, we know from Genesis chapter 12 that when God gives him the promise of land and offspring, Abraham is 75 years old. We've just read chapter 16. At the end of chapter 16, Ishmael is born, and Abraham is 86 years old. So 11 years have passed before we have Ishmael born. So somewhere in there, 10 years uh, of waiting, Abraham is, is, he's had this promise, and my guess is that after a year, he's, he's probably expecting that his wife is going to be pregnant, but Sarah is not pregnant. Another year goes by, another year goes by. I mean, we're in this five, six, seven years, and Abraham is starting to wonder, did I hear God correctly? Did I really understand what God was saying? And if I did, why is this taking so long? Where is God? In fact, you pick up a little bit of this in, in Genesis chapter 15. Uh, right after that, that test of, uh, of fame and fortune, uh, you've got Abraham who's starting to wonder, you know, maybe this isn't going to quite come out like I thought it would come out. In, in, in chapter 15, verse 2, we read, But Abram said, O sovereign Lord, what can you give me? What can you give me since I remain childless, and the one who will inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus. This is Abraham's chief servant, his head servant. And the custom of the day would have been that if you didn't have kids, your inheritance, your, your estate would be passed to this chief servant. And here is this, this chief servant from Damascus. And Abraham is thinking, look, here's the deal. If I don't have kids, it's going to go to somebody else. And you promised me, God, that, that I was going to have family. So that's great that you're my reward. But and that's great that you're my shield, but what am I going to pass my estate to? Who am I going to give it to? Because I don't have family. And by the way, God, you said you'd give me family. So, verse 4 says, Then the word of the Lord came to him. This man will not be your heir, but a son coming from your own body will be your heir. 
He took him outside and said, look up at the heavens and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. Which is kind of a little funny little statement by God. Count the stars, dot, 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 if indeed you can count them. So shall your offspring be. And then we have this very important verse, Genesis chapter 15, verse 6. Abram believed the Lord, and he credited to him as righteousness. We'll talk more about that in our study of the book of Romans. But Abraham believes. He's, he doesn't have a son. He doesn't have any family yet. Yet God's make this, he's made this promise to him. And God then does something a bit unusual. He, 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 he initiates a covenant ceremony. Now this would have been a ceremony that, that, that two people would engage in when they're making a promise to each other, a significant promise. They would engage in a covenant ceremony and, and this would have been a human act, but God engages in a covenant with Abraham. And so what would happen is, it's just like it says here in chapter 15, God sends Abraham out to get a heifer, a goat, a ram, and some birds. And then what ends up happening is Abraham severs these animals in two and, and puts them on both sides of a path. So you have a severed uh, cow, you've got a goat, you've got a ram, you've got some birds. They've been cut in half. I mean, it's, it's kind of a gruesome sight. Uh, Abraham is, is, is beating off the buzzards because the birds are wanting to feed on these carcasses. And, um, and, and what would happen when you would sever animals like this and enter into a covenant? You would have each person who is entering into the covenant walk between the animals and they would say uh, their covenant promises to one another. And the reason they would do that is because what they're doing is they're saying, if I don't keep my word, may it be to me as it has been done to these animals. May it be to me as it's been done to these animals. It's a very significant promise. And so both parties of the covenant would walk through the animals and would, would make this, these covenant promises to each other. Now what happens in this ceremony in Genesis chapter 15, you got the anim- animals severed in two, and then God begins to tell Abraham about this, this uh, dark period of history that's coming, and this, in fact this dreadful, thick oppression, darkness comes on Abraham. And uh, God tells Abraham that his offspring will be enslaved, will be mistreated for 400 years in, an, in another nation, and that, that will be Egypt. Um, but they'll be brought out, and that will be the Passover night, and, and that will be the case for his offspring. And God walks through, tells him about that, and then again reaffirms his promise of land and family. What's interesting to note is that it's only God who walks through these severed animals. It's God saying to Abraham, Abraham, this is my promise to you. And in, in reality saying, Abraham, you have nothing to, there's nothing for you to do. You, you, I'm making this promise to you, Abraham, you wait. It's going to happen. Your offspring will outnumber the stars in the sky. And so God affirms his promise. Abraham believes it's credited to him as righteousness. But Abraham's wife, Sarah, is starting to crack underneath the pressure. It's been 10 years. I mean, Sarah... She, she was turning heads not long ago, but now she's, it's 10 years later, and, and now she's wondering, you know, how in the world is this going to happen? Because frankly, it's, we're, we're getting past some, some, some dates here that are pretty significant for her. And, and so in chapter 16, verse 2, she says to Abraham, the Lord has kept me from having children. The Lord has kept me from having children. Go sleep with my maidservant. Perhaps I can build a family through her. Now, as you read that, don't, 
Don't think that, that Sarah is saying, this is God's fault. He's, he's done something wrong. He's kept me from having children. And don't read this as Sarah kind of getting mad at God. What's happening here is that Sarah has undoubtedly been told about this conversation Abraham has with God, that this promise of a son coming through his body. I think what's happening is Sarah's starting to wonder, is the son going to come through my body? Maybe this blessing, maybe this promise is just for Abraham. Maybe I'm not part of this gig. Maybe I'm not part of this deal. Maybe Abraham's the only one that's blessed, and I'm not going to have the, uh, the, the blessing. And by the way, people often go here. When they look around and they hear about someone else's prayer being answered, when they see God providing for somebody else, a job uh, being supplied for someone who's been praying, but you're still waiting for a job, you still have that prayer request you're praying, you still have that need, you still have that relational uh, divide, and you're praying, and, and it's not happening. It's happening for other people. Sometimes you might, you might come to the conclusion that maybe the blessing is for other people, it's not for me because I've made some mistakes in my life. If you knew my past, you would, you would understand. Maybe I'm disqualified from the blessing that God would have for me that he would give to others. And if that's what you have embraced as truth, I want to tell you that's a life in the pit of hell. We've celebrated communion this morning, and this blessing of grace is for all of us in Christ. No one earns it. It's a gift. There's no qualifying. It's only through Christ that this generous gift of grace that can be given. It isn't about formulas or it isn't about trying to perform in order to to enjoy the life of blessing. Life of blessing is in Christ. And yes, there are mysterious moments of God's sovereignty about about how he, how he orchestrates timing. But the deal is, you are not outside the reach of his blessing. And Sarah, she's wondering if this is in fact the case. Maybe this blessing is for Abraham. Perhaps this, this, this son won't come through this body. It'll come through Abraham, but maybe it won't come through this body. So here's my plan. Here's my plan, Abraham. I want you to go sleep with my maidservant. Perhaps I can build a family through her. Now that sounds awfully weird to us. If you're a mom or if you're a wife, that would be like that would be the last thing that I would think of. But it was a custom in the day, okay? It was back then. It's not a custom for, t- for today. Don't walk out of here saying, oh, I got an idea. I don't have kids. Uh, I, that, that, that was for then. That was a common thing. And here's the, uh, some Jewish rabbis have written some commentaries. And in one of the commentaries, this Jewish rabbi said that if you're married and you don't have kids, you don't have a son after 10 years, it was the custom that you could offer your maidservant to then sleep with your husband and, uh, and then hopefully produce a son. Uh, and, and the reason for that was so that you would have family, not just to have kids in the house, but so that you could build a heritage and have a legacy, which is why Sarah says that perhaps I can build a family through her. It's also why in Genesis chapter 30, we we hear Rachel saying to Jacob, give me children or I will die. She's not being overly dramatic. She's literally saying, if I don't have kids, my name will die. I want a legacy. I want a heritage. And so Sarah says, go sleep with my maidservant. And this isn't some cheap affair. It isn't some illicit one-night stand. It's a common custom of the day. In fact, this may sound a little weird, but what would happen was, was that the maidservant and Abraham would have, would, have, would have slept together, and Sarah would have been in the room. She would have been there. She also would have been there when the child was born. 
because it would be her child. This would be like a, a surrogate mother having a child for her. This was her plan, and this is where we need to stop and say, Hagar-like plans lead to Ishmael-like results, because now we've got a mess. God, I, were, I was expecting you at 8 o'clock. I thought you'd come through here, and, and maybe, maybe what we need to do is fast-track this a little bit, because it's been 10 years. Let's fast track. Let me help you out, God. So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to have my husband sleep with Hagar, and that'll, that'll make things better, and it obviously doesn't make things better because it's not too long after this, this child is conceived because that is, in fact, what happens. Hagar becomes uh, pregnant. And then you've got Sarah saying, to, saying at dinner to Abraham one night, you are responsible for the wrong I am suffering. I don't know. I just think that's kind of funny. Uh, you know, uh, I got an idea, Abraham. Why don't you sleep with my maidservant? Because I can't get pregnant. She gets pregnant. Now it's Abraham's fault. Some of the guys in the room are going, uh, I know that feeling. Uh, and, and then she, she goes on to say, okay, I had a part to play in it. I put my servant in your arms. And, and, and now, but now that she knows that she is pregnant, she despises me. Abraham, this is your fault. This is your fault. Yeah, I put my, my servant in your arms, but, but now that she's pregnant and you did that, now she despises me. In fact, Sarah even gets religious here. She goes, in the next verse, she says, may the Lord judge between you and me. Abraham, this is your fault, and if you don't think it's your fault, we'll just have God show up right now, and he'll show you that I'm right. Because we've got Hagar who... On one hand, is full of pride now, and, and she's pregnant, and she's probably walking around, and she's not doing the things that she used to do as a servant, because she's one of Abraham's wives. And maybe as she's starting to show that pregnancy, she's got her hands on her belly, and she's just giving a little wink to Sarah as she walks by. <laughs> yeah, you didn't have what it takes. I did. And the feud is on. And Sarah's despised. Sarah is so jealous. You got Hagar who's full of pride. You got Sarah who's full of jealousy. And now you got Abraham who's basically just copping out the whole thing. Because we read his response. He basically says, Hey, your servant is in your hands. You do with her whatever you think best. I'm getting out of this. This is your problem. This is not my problem. This is between the two of you. I don't want to triangulate because peacemakers taught me that taught me this is between the two people. I'm stepping back. And we've got a mess. Hagar-like plans lead to Ishmael-like results. And it gets so abusive that Hagar has to, has to run for her life. She's fleeing. And as she's fleeing, now remember, she's probably thinking, I've got the promised son. Abraham was, was, she's heard this promise. She's probably heard it for 10 years about this promised son and the blessing to the nations. And she's probably thinking, I have new status. I've got the promised son. I'm having to flee from my life. But here I am with my promised son. And as she's, as she's on this road, what does God think about this, this son that's in her womb? What does God think about this new perceived status that she feels that she has? We read, that we get that answer right away in verse 10. The angel of the Lord shows up to her and asks her where she's going, and verse 8 says, Hagar, servant of Sarai, which right away tells us she's still the status of servant. She's not pregnant with the promised son. 
She's running for her life, but the, the son she has is not, not the promised one in which the, the nations will be blessed. But because she is carrying Abraham's son, there will be blessing that goes to this child. And so you read in verse 10 some familiar things that's been spoken to Abraham. The angel says to Hagar, I will so increase your descendants that they will be too numerous to count. You are now with child, and you will have a son. You shall name him Ishmael, for the Lord has heard of your misery. He will be a wild donkey of a man. That, what that means is a free-roaming, freedom-loving individual. But this is where the blessing ends. You see, through Isaac, the nations will be blessed. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the nations will be blessed. But that won't be the case for Ishmael, because we read in verse 12, his hand will be against everyone, and everyone's hand will be against him, and he will live in hostility toward all his brothers, and isn't that the case? Hagar goes back home, and we have this mess now. Because Hagar-like plans lead to Ishmael-like results. God didn't show up when I expected him to show up. I'm disappointed, and, uh, and I'm, I'm going to help him a little bit. I'm going to show him. I'm going to help God get his purposes accomplished. And that's when we complicate things. You've heard me tell the story over the last couple of years of um, years ago when when uh, well, a friend of mine I worked with bought a new Honda Accord when I was working for United Parcel Service and drove it into the building I saw it and um, needed one. And so I went out that morning to a dealer and leased a brand new Honda. Um, my wife didn't know uh, until I came home that night. And um, I told her that you know her birthday was coming up soon, that this would be a great birthday present for her. <laughs> and... Uh, you know, I was digging out of that mess for uh, a lot, not just financially, <laughs> digging out of that mess for a while because it was an impulsive, quick, I needed something, I had to have it, and man, it, well, I, I paid for it for years. Um, and, and then we went to Hong Kong uh, several years back, and we sold everything we had, and uh, that was a shorter trip than we expected. When we came back, we had nothing. We came to Salem uh, to serve here at Salem Alliance, and we, we purchased a house, and we, we didn't have any, no appliances. We had no furniture. We had nothing. So we're, we're taking the, the cash we have, and we're, we're you know, outfitting our, our home, and eventually the cash wears out. And uh, we had one car, uh, but we really needed more than one car because uh, we've got four kids, and they're going to school and going different places, and y- you need more than one car. And yet um, I knew that, uh, that we could go out and get a second car quite easily. I, I have some experience in that. Uh, and uh, so all you do is you go out and get a lease and, and you know, and credit and make payments and all that. And yet Trina and I had come to this conviction that we didn't want to get into debt. In fact, we have this conviction that we, don't, we want to be out of debt. We've, we've organized our life to, to make that happen. And, uh, and, and that's not a statement against anyone who has a car payment. That's just our, our conviction. That's one of the things that we, if you've seen our cars, you understand. We don't make car payments. Uh, they're, they're, they're a little bit beat up. But, but here's the deal. We, we said, Lord... We need a car, and uh, we want you to provide one. We just had this conviction that he would do that, and we began praying. And uh, that first night when I got up in the morning, I walked out in the driveway, there was no car. Uh, in fact, after a week, there was no car. Months went by, there was no car. And things were starting to get tense in the home because we had to get kids to soccer practice. We had to get kids to school. I got out to work. Trina's going to work. And it's complicated, and it's, it, it causes conflict in the home. You're supposed to be somewhere at a certain time to make sure the car gets over there. And man, it, it's, it's, it starts to stress you out. And we can solve this so quickly. 
just by going down to the dealer and signing some papers and using that credit card or using your credit score and, and getting that car. You really, you really need it. And believe me, that thought came through our heads multiple times. We waited and we waited, and make a long story short, eventually someone walked up to me and had no idea of our situation because we didn't tell people. Walked up and said, hey, I, I, we're getting a new car, and we got this older one. It's got a lot of miles, but do you want it? Sight unseen. I don't care if it had three wheels or two wheels or four wheels. I said, yeah, we'll take it. And it was a great car, and it had a lot of miles, and it ran for years. And to us, it was God's gift to us. As We waited. Now, that's just a simple story of a situation in which we waited. But the fact of the matter is is that you're here today, and your situation is not simple. It's complex. There's hurts. There's pain. There's lawyers involved. There's a marriage you dreamt of that you're still waiting for the dream to be realized. It's not simple for you. Oh, if it were just as simple as a car. And you're wondering where God is. What do you do? What do you do when God doesn't show up on time? Well, you don't help him. Because Hagar-like plans lead to Ishmael-like results. You wait. And then you discover, much like Hagar discovered, that he is the God who sees you. It may have been 10 days, 10 weeks, 10 months, even 10 years. You've been waiting. You have not slipped off his radar screen. He has not forgotten you. You're not living outside of his blessing. He is the God who sees you. And you simply may have the test of time slipped onto your desk. And he's growing your faith. What do you do when God doesn't show up on time? You rest. You wait. You can ask him if there's something you're supposed to do, but don't help him unless he asks for your help. It's not wrong to take action when he prompts it, but boy, it makes a mess of things. When we institute our Hagar-like plans, because we get the complexities of birthing our Ishmael's. He is the God who sees you.